they played us in. Here we are. We're here. Right here. <laughs> and welcome to Freightonomics uh, on this Thursday, March 2nd. Uh, if you're tuning in live, uh, this is noon Eastern, uh, March 2nd. Spring officially starts yesterday for apparently meteorological spring uh, is when it starts in March 1st. Uh, I guess the earth doesn't acknowledge it until later <laughs> in the month. But thank you for joining us. Uh, today's show uh, is going to center around this concept of are we going to return to seasonality? Hence, the spring uh, connection there. And spring typically for transportation means seasonal goods demand starts to roll in. You get a lot of shippers start to really move stuff and put it in place for when people start to get outdoors again, grills, lawnmowers, you name it. You know, life begins anew in the spring. And uh, I'm head of freight market intelligence, Zach Strickland here with <laughs> chief economist Anthony Smith. And we're going to provide all that, those answers and more here coming up. That's right. And I mean, Zach, it's been, I think, a wild ride because there was some pertinent economic news, some trucking developments, but I think we just got so used to every single week just being a huge shift this way, a huge shift that mm -hmm. way, that we've, we've almost kind of not become muted to certain market changes, but it, it, there's still significant changes that we have to talk about throughout uh, today. But uh, yeah, this is Freightonomics. And <laughs> if you see me looking down from time to time, I'm only being a little bit rude, but we are going to be streaming and we are streaming if you are watching live now on LinkedIn. So if you want to join in on the conversation, cancel Zach, anything, have any questions, want to join the show, you can have a comment right there and we'll get to you, get a shout out, anything you want to your heart's desire. So be sure to tune in and, and comment and all that good stuff. Yeah, cut me out of your life. It's fine. <laughs> uh, I was, I, I apparently the article that I wrote on Freightways.com had had uh, some people cutting me out of their life uh, because I didn't realize that the debate of truckload capacities availability was so polarizing. So, Zach, you got to pick and choose your battles. And <laughs> I mean, this who one. knew, right? Uh, but first off, let's, let's, let's say you set the pace, set the tone for the freight market. Let's give some people a, a big oh, rundown. Do we do a market in two? Let's do it, right? If you want to count me in. Yeah, and I think we have a, a little challenge for me in addition to this. It's going to be... Uh, a solve within two as well. So I don't know if I can do it because the pressure's on air right now, but. Upping the ante, I love it. We're gonna go for it in three, two, one, go. All right, as Anthony's solving the Ruby's Cube. Well, there's no mystery in this puzzle. The OTVI measure of outbound tender volumes, total trucking demand on the contracted market here. Uh, of course, huge changes year over year. We are still well down uh, from year over year. That's going to change in the next month or so as we saw the OTVI and the green line drop significantly this time last year. We are on the floor, it looks like. There's a lot of firming here. Demand is not moving downward really quickly. It dropped about 3% through the month of February, but total volumes off of January were up about 2.5%. And you see that little notch there at the end, we're actually seeing an uptick in the OTVI. This is the index to watch for March. Just be aware of it because demand side conditions, that seasonal volume looks like it might actually have a chance. So let's move to the next one. Oh, try. Oh, try. This is the tender rejection index. How much uh, of those tenders, how many of those tenders are getting rejected? It's still on the floor. I don't expect this to move much, if at all, over the month of March. Demand, as you can see, it's clearly down on the floor. Not a lot of action here, although I would be watching for any kind of uh, little small movements, regionally speaking, if demand moves unevenly. Let's move to the next chart, the National Truckload Index spot rates. You can see 
They've stopped falling for the moment (laughs) over the last few days. I don't know that we can call it a bottom, but it is worth noting OTVI has floored. Therefore, it's not really moving off the, uh, you know, we're not really dropping as far right now on spot rates. Might be a little life here. Next chart, NTIL. Looking at this from a seasonal perspective, this excludes fuel, so we can actually compare it year over year. We're not that far from 2020 uh, levels before the pandemic. And like I said, there is a little bit of a floor forming in the NTIL. And last but not least, let's look at the last one. Look at this flatbed outbound tender rejection index. Anthony's favorite in green jumping up while van and refrigerated are on the floor. Ding, ding, mm-hmm. Zach. I, um, not successful this time around. Pressure got oh, to me. Oh, man, you Missed got close. Got, got close, got close. But talking about the faux try. Um, faux try. That's why I pulled this up at the last yeah. one, because I thought that you would you would be interested to see the faux try. Uh, jumping up. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really interesting to see that upper movement in the faux try for sure, because one of the things about it is that, of course, we saw that it never really kind of got down to the low levels of the reefer and dry van. There was still always that continuous movement. And a lot of that came down to some of the talking points that we had before in the earlier part of uh, 2022, that there's still a long runway for backlogs within manufacturing. And then, of course, even though we're seeing slowdowns in housing and starts overall, there's still a record number of homes that have been authorized for construction but haven't yet started or are still under construction. So there's still some movement happening overall. And of course, we're ramping up to some of the spring months here. Yeah, and, and FOTRI, you know, Flatbed Outbound Tender Rejection Index, this is, an interesting, this is a super interesting nuance to me and, and our tender data. So Flatbed Outbound Tender Rejections, not a huge component uh, overall. We, we tend to see it's roughly 5 to 10% flatbed and inside the total tender volume index. Uh, refrigerated about 20-ish, and then vans about 70, uh, and a mix of a few other things. But uh, flatbed, it does a really good job of showing the flatbed market. And flatbed, seasonally speaking, has its moments consistently in March and April because the spring seasonal volume, everybody hops back in, you know, the weather gets a little bit nicer, some stuff can get moved on flatbed. And uh, like you mentioned, construction season begins uh, it starts to creep up <laughs> from the right. south to the north. And it's interesting to see this happen right now because it feels like the housing market and all that is actually still cooling off, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and there's certain aspects around this housing market. So, of mm-hmm. course, we're seeing um, interest rates and then mortgage rates, some slight moderation easing in the mortgage rates and, you know, right. it goes right back up. So there's that whole aspect to it. But then on the manufacturing side, it's also interesting because you're seeing some of the new orders still yeah. in contraction. We'll get into that a little bit later, but the contraction in new orders and then the increasing in pricing and then some of the new orders being held off because there's some kind, sometimes a disagreement and pushback on those prices. And so there's still some moderating trends there, but we're seeing that I think there's going to be a, some activity potentially for some housing activity as we get into the warmer months here. But I think a lot of it's just going to be a lot of backlog that we haven't yet worked through just yet. Yeah, and it, that's a good point. It's kind of like, is this just kind of one of those bounce moments where we have a little bit of congestion kind of move out? Or is this an actual trend that we need right. to pay attention to? Time will tell on that. Now, one of the things that I, I think is true about the flatbed market is that if you looked at the FOTRI during the pandemic, it really was, it was the lowest rejected trailer type of our th- big three indexes here. Right. And the flatbed spot market was not as active. It just wasn't as active as van and refrigerated. And I think that actually might have limited capacity growth in the flatbed sector. 
a little bit. So making it a little bit more responsive to seasonal inflection points. What do you think? You think that's a valid theory? I think so. And, and I also have to give a shout out to the comment section real quick. Armin, thanks for joining. Hello, um, Andrew Bryant, what's up? Uh, we have uh, Marina Alcoa saying that um, she is seeing that flatbeds are going up and containers are dropping, that she's getting more requests for vans and flatbeds at the moment. So really cool to see, you know, what people are seeing anecdotally yeah. in their day to day. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting to me because I, I think a lot of people kind of started giving away their flatbed trailers and hooking up to refrigerate it or you know, or whatever, because that was obviously in more demand. Maybe they were getting a different chassis so they could haul some of those containers uh, around the country. But it's, it, you know, I think it is a combination of what you just said, backlogs, industrial. We, we had an uptick in new orders right. in the ISM. Is that right? I mean, that's one of your favorites, right? Yeah, we did get a little uptick there. I still believe in contraction territory, but we are seeing that there is some activity going on there overall. Um, so for the ISM, we saw that it's still in contraction territory overall at a 47.7. Um, so it's still moving at a slower pace for the new orders component. That did increase 4.5 percentage points, now reading a 47 percentage point reading. So it's growing um, or it's contracting at a slower rate here. Um, one of the big things here, of course, was prices for this latest yes. report. The prices is now expanding. So we're seeing an increase for prices now at 51.3 percentage points. So just above expansion territory, but this was a 6.8 percentage point movement. And so I'm not saying that all this came in from some of the... So one of the things that we're talking about as a potential um, cause for inflation or increase in pricing is that the U.S. dollar is a little bit weaker than what it was throughout the pandemic. And so right. a weaker dollar plus imports mean that there's going to be some potential inflationary pressures just for those U.S. goods coming into the country. Right. So, I mean, it's, and of course, the prices component as well, driven by some labor, some right. wages, I think I read. Uh, and that's that's not the worst thing. We, we kind of need that. So it's, it's this double-edged sword uh, a little bit. Um, interesting stuff. So uh, big questions in the trucking market, of course, around capacity. I tried to answer them in, in a way. Uh, but we do have a few stories to cover here in the newsonomics that That's revolve right. around what's going on with that capacity number. Um, newsonomics. Yeah, the first uh, story I wanted to point to, though, is not mine. It's uh, John Kingston. He does this report on uh, the BMO Canada's BMO Bank, which is a significant lender in the trucking industry. Uh, they are continuing to see uh, a rise in basically bad debt or deter like bad payments, like people not making payments, um, trucking companies specifically, and they're having an increasing amount of write-offs. So whereas it's still at a pretty low number, the point of the article is that it hasn't increased strongly. We're on this steady increase where I think he, he points out uh, the last three quarters, it's risen sequentially by $1 million. So it's not an exponential curve. Like if it said it increased 5% each quarter, that would look like an exponential turn up in the bad debt or the write-offs. This is more of a straight line, linear uh, function because it's going up by the same amount each quarter. It's not a good sign, <laughs> uh, but it means also that we might not have seen as much exit uh, as we might have expected since the market turned so quickly. 
So this is interesting because with John Kingston on this one, um, one of the things that, of course, BMO puts out these numbers, but they don't really put out expectations for, right. you know, the outward or for, for moving forward. But um, really the sentiment is just that it is, you know, getting weaker, but not at a, a you know, um, a rapid rate right. right now. Like an increasing rate of, of getting worse. So, yeah, I mean... So basically, exits haven't started really happening like we saw in 2019, for right. instance. And 2019, of course, kind of the benchmark year for bad trucking <laughs> um, or a bad trucking environment, I should say, because it was a very, it wasn't necessarily that it, it eased in the way that demand fell off. It eased in the way that there were so many new entrants and so much new available equipment that it just collapsed the market um, in terms of available ro- loads. So. Let's move on to my article because I got to talk about it a little <laughs> bit because I've been talking about it all week with a lot of people. But uh, truckload market has 25% too much capacity. Now, I want to pull up the chart that this was based on because I didn't just come up with this number out of nowhere. Uh, and I talked about this a little bit this morning on the roundtable with, uh, with Bill and Tony. But this is our contract load accepted volume index. This is accepted tenders only paired with, in the green line, outbound tender rejection rates. So if you see that rise in CLAV over time, that is accepted tenders. That's freight that has moved. That is moving through the truckload capacity under contract. If you look at the green line, that is the rejection rate falling. So what we saw in 2018 into 2019, like I just mentioned, you see that CLAV increased. Well, total demand actually did, it it was up in contract. What was happening is as those rejection rates fell, Freight was moving from the spot market back under contract because contract rates were increasing and therefore there was more freight moving under contract versus the spot market, putting a deflationary pressure on overall rates in general because carriers could handle all of this freight. Majority of the freight movements move under contract. Big companies like to have things stable. (laughs) That's why they set these contract rates up. Uh, And then if you see, you know, keep the chart back over there for just a second. Throughout the pandemic, we slowly increased. That is, that is the actual capacity availability. <laughs> that is stuff moving under contract from the spot market, but also it's just simply, if you look at that rejection rate, that's overflow. So capacity is growing. You can see it in this index. You can see capacity is growing throughout the pandemic, and then it peaks out late 2021. And then last year, we start to see this slow deterioration. And then the fourth quarter last year, it just falls off. Now we're about 25% lower than where we were at the end of 2021 when carriers were handling 25% more freight. Gotcha. I didn't go out and count trucks <laughs> uh, or, or, or I didn't pull FMCSA data. I didn't pull any of that because honestly, that's not, it's, it's not super relevant without the demand side figure. Demand moves really quickly. <laughs> the supply moves really slow. Right. And it's all about how much can they handle and they were handling 25% more freight than they are right now. <laughs> and the other big part is, um, I think, they also got really a lot more efficient. That was a great point that you made mm-hmm. earlier on. It's mm-hmm. just like, even if we didn't have the capacity at the moment, mm-hmm. solutions had to be made and different processes had to get in place to be more efficient. So not only do we have more capacity that we need right now, but we're also more efficient than where we were a few years ago. Yeah, and, and, and also uh, keep in mind the rejection rates falling off, that means that Everything came out of the spot market. There wasn't an overflow anymore. Uh, but you don't need to have this one-to-one relationship with a truck and a load in the market. That actually is 
a deficient market in terms of capacity. If you have this small uh, amount of wiggle room, because freight flow and freight demand is very uneven in the United States. More freight comes out of Los Angeles than goes into it. More freight goes into Phoenix than comes out of it. (laughs) So there is a natural imbalance. So that means that you have to have more capacity than loads at all times if you want a balanced or uh, equilibrium where rates aren't getting bid up too high. Um, And right now we have obviously more capacity than we need. And I go on to kind of point down the road saying, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. That's not my job. I don't get rewarded for clicks (laughs) or, or views or anything like that. I am a simple, humble analyst and I'm just pointing out what I see in the data. And if I'm a carrier, if I'm a broker, I need to know how long is this cycle going to take so I can make my strategy. Right. And the data says you need to plan. I know there's a lot of optimism around late year, but you need to hold on to your, you know, your food supply yeah. probably for the rest of the year. Right. Things may not get worse, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that they're good, <laughs> especially when you're talking about a 25% oversupply figure. That means it's going to take a long time. I said 10 months down the road is when we should start to see things really actually have our return to true seasonality. We're going to see some bumps along the way for sure. Uh, But economic demand, consumer demand does not look good. (laughs) Yeah, there's so many headwinds for the consumer. I mean, even though we got the weekly initial jobs claims um, updated for this morning, um, showing that there was a movement to 190. So... I think it's over six weeks now that we've had under 200,000. Um, the big thing is, is that the consumer, just because there is job openings right now, doesn't mean that they're in a stable financial footing. I mean, we, look, we say it all the time, credit card utilization is continuing to rise. Um, we're starting to see some shakeups and movements with um, uh, auto loans mm-hmm. and um, those happening, especially with the younger demographic millennials, younger millennials, older millennials, and Gen Zers, um, really starting to get uh, kind of caught up with being over... Uh, over their head in some of these car payments. And so there are a lot of really dynamics right now that are at play that are really kind of showing that, hey, consumers aren't in the best of positions. And so, yeah, the Americans can continue to like make those purchases, continue to load up on some of those buy now, pay later programs, but it's not really going to be a good sign of, hey, what's to come on the second half of the year or middle part of the year, because a lot of those consumers are going to be hard up for cash, especially if there's any shifts into the labor market. And really, when we look at the labor market overall, it's not a proactive movement a lot of the times. A lot of the times when we're seeing layoffs right now, these are some of them are proactive, but a lot of the times it's going to be reactive, reactive to market conditions. And it's going to be a little bit too late because a lot of them might hold on to labor a little bit longer just because of what they went through throughout the pandemic, trying to source labor, trying to train up talent. And so now that's going to be a little bit difficult to do. They're going to hold on a little bit longer than what they probably would have previously. Yeah, and that's, that's the hard part to gauge, you know? Yeah. It's like, you know, you're trying to make a plan for the future. And there's moving parts. And, you know, if we looked at CLAV, just like the OTVI there at the end, there's a little bit of an uptick. It looks like maybe there is some life left in the demand side cycle, but there is just not a lot of reason to expect that number to really jump up quickly, right? Right. I mean, that's what it boils down to for me. Yeah, yeah. that's that's definitely what it's going to come down to, Um, and especially when we're looking at um, certain industries. And so um, we're looking at some of the service sectors. That's going to be some of the areas where we're seeing a lot of demand right now, hospitality, Mm -hmm. um, restaurants, things like that. 
um, some medical, some education. Mm -hmm. um, some of the outliers aren't really going to be some of the more high-paying roles, especially when we look at some of the openings. And so that's also going to be another, I think, area of, of a hang-up where it looks at um, what demand's looking like for labor versus how much these folks are going to get paid. Now, being able to shift jobs is going to be a way some of these consumers are going to be able to mute themselves to inflationary pressures and the changes in um, their, their financial situation. But you can only change jobs so many times and there's only going to be so many higher paying roles available for right. you. So that's going to come to an end at some point as well. And there's a lot of part-time labor going on yes. right now, right? Uh, so that also muddies the waters in that macroeconomic figures as well. Um, you know, and... You know, I wrote 25%, but I also tell you that at 15% too much capacity, there is an increasing amount of seasonal in influence on rates right. and rejection rates. So it's not like we got to wait for the entire, uh, you know, market to just get all the, to 0%. There's no, that's, that would be a, a very inflationary environment for freight rates. But um, demand side cycles look muted. I, you know, labor markets are... Okay, but do you, let me ask you this in re regards to the debt situation. Are we headed for a consumer debt problem here? Like, is this, a, is this concerning to you for our, like, further down the road in the year? Oh, big time, because I, I think we're already there at a, a really big consumer debt problem, especially with that black hole I always talk about, the buy now, pay later programs. We don't know how big that actually is. Um, the other big thing when we're looking at consumer um, debt is situation is, of course, student loans. Um, yeah. Supreme Court going back and forth on, hey, should this be a thing that we pass? Should it not be? And right now, it's looking like it's leaning into, no, this isn't fair for those that say, hey, took out a loan for uh, $10,000 out of high school to start a business. Are they going to be compensated? So those are some of the conversations that they're going to be having. And if that gets shot down, and a lot of folks are going to be still on the line for those student loans, um, that's going to be a big shift. And okay, now I have to start making these payments again that I weren't making for so long. And now I'm going to be on the hook for this $10,000 that maybe I was spending in the anticipation that this was not going to be my uh, responsibility anymore. So that could also be a big factor when we're looking at what's going to happen with the changing financial situations on top of the growing credit card debt. Yeah, my biggest concern is that, you know, the Fed's been increasing the interest rates, which right. in increases the borrowing rate, uh, the rate at which banks lend money. Uh, therefore, the consumers and the credit cards get, you know, increasing cost of money, but they're not incentivizing savings. Right. And I cannot stand the fact that we are killing demand on one end, but we're not, we're not saying, hey, save it. Right. Because they're basically, if they save it, they lose value in their dollar, yeah. you know, like overnight. And so that's not great either. So they don't have a good reason to shove it into an account somewhere. Uh, and then the stock market volatility, God help us there. But right. a lot of people just want to hold on to their money and they're not being incentivized to do that still, right? right? There's no incentivization right there, like you said. And we're looking at the early parts of inflationary pressures. The first thing that we saw were in assets, remember, meme stocks were really hitting uh, um, <laughs> right. and Dogecoin, things like that, crypto. It was just going crazy. It was just going to the moon. Everything was going to the moon. Yeah. Now we're seeing a lot of that. Some of that's come down, of course. A lot just of it's erosion of value overnight. Right. And, and <laughs> NFTs, that was a thing. Remember that? Yeah. That was a big thing for a while. Value um, investing, people. Still, <laughs> it, it, it is real. I know it's not trendy anymore, but you have to have underlying value. Right. Right. <laughs> like, don't just go out and throw money at the wind because the wind may take it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that was a big thing. And now we're seeing a lot of that, you know, come down and it starts to moderate, to come down again, then moderate at a new level. And so, like you said, 
there is just not really, I think, a safe place that consumers really feel like, hey, I can just throw, you know, X amount of dollars into mm-hmm. and feel good about this because now it's just like everything's losing value. I can't, I don't, I, I had, you know, anecdotal conversations. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm an economist. And those are very different things. But a lot of times I get people asking me for financial advice. And sometimes, sometimes folks ask me, hey, should I just stop contributing to my 401k right now? So that's the extent that some people are feeling is like, hey, maybe I won't even contribute to my 401k because I see that going down. So I just want to hold on. And then you hold on to cash. And now you start spending it instead of investing. See, and, there, anyway. and there is the flaw with the current methodology is that raising interest rates so the cost of money goes up, but there's no reason to hold on to money either. That is, right. that is how you create inflation in my right. mind, right? <laughs> yeah. And then next thing you know, it's like, hey, maybe I want to, you know, anecdotally want to pause my 401k just so I have more cash on hand so I can afford, you know, other goods on a month-to-month basis because CPI, core CPI is still relatively high. Yeah. It still continues to, you know, reach new levels that are- And I need of, to have some money so I can afford the stuff that now costs me 15% more than it did. Exactly. And then, so. <laughs> and then we just had the ISM PMI. We just, we just spoke about what we get the services update um, coming out mm-hmm. in uh, tomorrow, actually. And that's going to be another one because when you look at services, um, that's going to feed into the cost of labor. And then now the and cost of labor goes up. And now there, the goods of go course, up. yes. And there you go. Wage increases for the services sector, uh, influencing that durable goods sector. So that'll do it for today. Uh, no strong seasonal signs yet, but there are a little bit of glimmers sitting out there on the horizon. Uh, talk to us here in two weeks. Uh, we'll, we'll tell you what we see. And look at that, Anthony. He'll get better. Myself. He'll get better. <laughs> maybe next. Uh, maybe the next the market in two, you'll have it down. Yeah. <laughs> maybe go out there and get hydrated. Drink uh, water. Get some water.